0: Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, a managing partner of Invader Comics, and the writer of both Kadoja and the upcoming Three Protectors.
1: And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Milsonda for the Accidental Aliens, and I'm slightly congested this week.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm happy that the Sixers just beat the shit out of the Toronto Raptors. To go to the second round of the playoffs. Oh, nice!
1: I was just listening to ESPN and there or or all of the sports media channels, and they were talking about is Doc going to blow another one? So yeah, yeah.
0: So he if if you if by blow you mean coach your team to a thirty five point road victory, then yes, he blew it. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was petrified, dude. You know, you know how these games go. Yeah, it's all like, about momentum. You, You go in, and and I I made the vow that I wasn't even going to watch it, just, you know, on account of my heart condition. Actually, I don't have a heart condition. It's called watching the Philadelphia 76ers. (laughs) But but then, sure enough, I was following it on the drive home, and then I... uh, what did I do? I I immediately get home and then I'm watching it. I just watch the whole fucking thing. And and you know when you when you're tense and you're tense and it's a, it was a great game. Like Philly was there from the jump and they were only up like one at halftime. Oh wow. Okay. They went on a 37-17 run in the third game over and they had this glorious like 14-0 run and the crowd got quieter and quieter and that's always delightful so (laughs) anyway it was great it was great Uh, you know it's it's such a catharsis when your team actually wins and they they because it's not about joy it's about absence of fear I don't know about any of this this season Keith I don't
1: know what you're talking about (laughs) you're like no clue the
0: Lakers took a year off they got relegated to the to the ABA yeah 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 okay let's uh let's do it uh what are you drinking man
1: Okay, so, I strangely enough, I managed to go through all of my beers. Uh, we had a family party. We brought a four-pack there. I drank one of them, and, or two of them, and I left the other two behind. It felt weird taking two beers back home. So, uh, yeah, all I had left in the fridge was a hard seltzer that I got for my girlfriend. And so, it's been in there a while, so I'm going to confiscate it. And it is Loverboy Sparkling Hard Tea. So it's a lemon iced tea. It is a 4.2% alcohol.
0: Is it like a band tie-in?
1: Does it does it tie to the band lover boy? Oh, I don't know. That's what the logo looks like.
0: Nah, that's a damn shame. That was a joke. But yeah, you never know. Then yeah. again.
1: Never know with you, Keith. You're, Are you, you loving every jokes. minute of that seltzer? <laughs> let's
0: let's find out right now. Yeah, yeah.
1: We'll get that ASMR can opening.
0: Uh-huh. Touch that dial and turn you on. Start my to make me run. It's all right. Yeah, it's all right. Okay, it does well, have it's that a, it's a iced, ringing
1: endorsement. <laughs> Ice tea aftertaste. So yeah, uh, it's not. I'm not okay. crazy about it. I've just like I'm so into beer, and um, I hadn't had a seltzer in a bit. So um, I guess it's coming back around. i I'm sure I'll like it by the end of the can.
0: Yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. All right, so I am rocking a really nice funky can here. It's called a Holy Cannoli. Here, hold it. Let me switch it on the other side. Holy Cannoli Baltic Porter. Um, and I've, I've had a couple spots where I've bought some beers recently. Oh, this was this I picked up. I was confirming where I got it. Uh, I picked this up at the, there's a great uh, individual um, liquor store, you know, like 30 miles from me in Costa Mesa called um, High Time. And High Time has an amazing beer selection. That's where I found limited release Harlan's. Oh, like, nice! They they basically get every Harland, or almost every Harland that your beer club f- club friend gets. They just they don't know what they're getting. You know what I mean? Like when I was talking to the cashier, I was like, "Wow, this one's rare. You know, I, this is like a limited release." He's like, "Yeah, we love Harland. They like us. We just tell them give us everything, give us everything you can." You know? And uh, nice. but anyway, this is there. It is a it is a Baltic porter with uh, vanilla and cream. Uh, and a finish of cocoa, ice cream, graham crackers, and nuttiness. Ooh, that sounds says. really good. It is excellent, man. And uh, so it's 8.5. And the nice thing Pens is that... double it's, mine. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's got this... It's got the desserty thing. Like all of those insane dessert porters, you know, that I had a couple months ago, kind of through the winter. It's got that same vibe, except it's lighter because it's a porter. Which is nice. So it's just the... It's like the same flavor, but it's cleaner. Interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I might try to track some more of these down. They're very, very good. And again, that that perfect 8% of alcohol punch that, that makes life delightful.
1: I was going to try to make you jealous today. Um, so I, I stopped into the comic shop and I grabbed my pull list. And as you know, um, society is right next door. And I knew I was out of beer. So I was like, hey, I'm going to pop into society. I'm going to grab a Crowler, uh, which is a canned growler for you guys out there that don't know, of the Madam, which is mine and Keith's favorite when we go to society. And mm-hmm. I, I got it in the car, and I realized, oh, this is 32 ounces. So I wasn't going to open it just to drink, you know, half of it, because uh, I do have another family event this weekend. So I was like, okay, I'll just bring that there, and uh, went over to this this hard iced tea instead.
0: Oh man, that's very nice of you. Because crawlers, in general, those things, it's like you're supposed to drink them as soon as possible. I think it I has think... like
1: a three day limit.
0: Yeah. Oh. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So anyway, well, that's fun, and uh, and this is a good time to mention that I'm going to be down there next weekend because it's Free Comic Book Day at SoCal. So uh, we will be tabling. And hey, that already passed, and and as usual, me, we made all the money. Mm-hmm. So it was it was amazing. All of it. Um. All of it, all of it. And then we we went over to society and threw down a beer as well. So uh, so that was also very delicious. That is definitely a a, a guarantee that that happened for sure. (laughs) So, uh, all right, let's get to it, man. What was the first thing you did this week?
1: Uh, The first thing, uh, I guess the first major thing was San Diego Comic Fest. Uh, Hence, my nasally voice, because everyone loves the comic crud. The thing that you get when you go to comic shows... Um, and especially since the mask mandate is, is gone for indoors. So I didn't have one on and as did most people, there were some people with masks on still as, as people are likely to do. And that's a okay, um, But uh, as a penalty for not being a little more cautious, because I am fully vaxxed and, um, you know, boosted and everything. But I still got the concred, and that's something that comes around with conventions. When you're meeting a ton of people, you're all sharing the same air and shaking hands and all that good stuff. So um, San Diego Comic Fest just passed. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. I got to meet a couple of people that listened to the pod. That was super cool. And, um, yeah, got some instant feedback, which which is awesome, you know, like actual artists, creators
0: talking about the podcast. So mm. um, very cool. Nice. Is there anything that's worth sharing right now? Or is it just what what we should expect from feedback?
1: What we should expect from feedback, but it was uh, you know just a nice word of like, hey, um, you guys really go in depth on how to make comics, so I really appreciate it. It's helped a lot, so that's great to that's hear. Awesome. Yeah, I love hearing that. I, we've gotten a couple of messages, you know, in our social medias saying about the same. So it's always pleasant to hear that we're doing our job and you guys are learning yeah. some information when you listen to the pod. And um, there's always a mention of the beer in the basketball talk, which we appreciate.
0: Yeah. And that's and and I'm sure that delighted everyone when I led with the Sixers, <laughs> which, by the way, is now like their 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 next series may have ended already for all I know. But at this glorious moment, we don't play basketball for three more days and I just get to soak in this victory, which is always nice. Indeed. But yeah, man, that's cool. Yeah, man. Uh, how, it, it, oh, go ahead. How was the turnout? How was the turnout in general? Like, what was the show like just from a fan perspective, from a table perspective? Not not sales or anything. I don't care about that. But, like, the turnout, the vibe, the energy, uh, the attendance, that kind of stuff. Well, I'm going to offer
1: all of that. Um, the attendance <laughs> was good. I think it was slightly down from what it normally does. and um, And that could still be the fact that we're on the tail end of this COVID thing and... People are still wary, and that's A-OK. So obviously take care of your health first if you feel like you're in danger. Um, the so, the Comic Fest crowd tends to be an older crowd. It's a lot of diehard comic fans from back in the day. There's obviously, you know, uh, every age range goes to the show because parents, grandparents, whoever's bringing everyone along. So you get a nice mixture of people. But I think the attendance was slightly down. As for, like, the vibe... When I would so I was in small press and every time I would go visit some of the other aliens in Artist alley, the artist alley vibe was buzzing it was a nice mm. feel I went into the um, the sales floor area of the convention during the show a couple of times and that was buzzing and in small press it was not buzzing so unfortunately we were in a bad area of the of the show like, so you think of it like this. You walk into the front of the hotel. To the left is the sales floor. To the right is Artist Alley and Small Press. However, Artist Alley is a straight shot. You just keep walking straight, you you run into Artist Alley. When you get to a certain area to the right, you have to turn left to get to Small Press a lot of people missed us. A lot of people just didn't see us because they're like, oh, hey, here's the rest of the convention. And they go about their way. So unfortunately, small press took a hit as far as uh, traffic traffic goes. We're just in a bad location. And, you know, I talked to uh, Alex, who was the guy, it was the guy running small press, you know, comic fest is the accidental aliens home convention. So, you know, we know a lot of the people that work there and So it's easy to talk to them about what's going on. You know, it's just like, okay, we're paying a little more than, you know, a lot more honestly than Artist Alley, Um, yet we were in a worse spot, and strangely, no air condition. The rest of the hotel had air condition, but not the location we were. So we had like a worse spot, paid like, I don't know, four times the amount, and had no air conditioning, no traffic. So it was kind of like, wow, this kind of is the pits, strangely enough. I made what I normally make there, so um, I it turned out okay every like at the end of the at the end of the convention, it all turned out okay. money wise, mm-hmm. it was good. Um, however, <clears throat> I have way more product than I did last time I was there. so my hopes was I was going to blow my old total out of the water, but just the location and all of that it affected it all. So you know yeah. location location location, just like real estate when you're buying a home when you're working in the convention floor, that matters. So um, bad yeah. spot, but turned out okay for me.
0: Or like when the Sixers beat the shit out of Toronto. Location, <laughs> location, location. Sorry, I, I'm not going to squeeze that in there. <laughs> Although, hey, can I bring up something real quick yeah, before uh, uh, you on the on the on the all bullshit episode? If people are interested in going back a second time, what I would like you to pay attention to is that early on in the podcast, Scott mentions. That if you took a drink, if you took a drink, it's either if you took a drink or take drinks every time Keith says bullshit, you will be in great shape. When I heard that, I made a concerted effort to not say it again for the rest of the episode. (laughs) I thought you uh, I thought
1: you were gonna tell me you counted when you were editing it
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no no I I made a concerted point to be like ah I'm not gonna fucking say it anymore I said (laughs) BS but it did not say bullshit oh there you go look at you yeah yeah Uh, there's a there's a story uh from way back in the day so Jay Billis the guy who does the ESPN draft he is known for his use of the word wingspan Mm. and um he went on a podcast and he talked about how he's like I know people make drinking games out of me saying wingspan (laughs) and so sometimes i won't say it at all and sometimes i'll say 80 times just so the person people can get hammered (laughs) so i paid rapt attention to the next draft which was like two nights later right because that's how this goes the first pick comes out and jay billis they cut to him and he goes wingspan 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 (laughs) and then he goes on he goes on to talk about everything else he did not say it again for the rest of the night it was so funny dude yeah yeah it was it was hilarious But anyway, that was my little ode to Jay Billis there. But but anyway, yeah, I mean, you kind of had the mirror image version of my WonderCon experience.
1: I I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking the same thing. And we were even talking about it during the show. People were talking about WonderCon. And much like what you told me mixed reviews a lot of people are like it was so bad and some people were like it was all right you know it wasn't too terrible yeah. so it was yeah. uh but apparently there was a lot of empty tables which is um sad to hear because i had i think i had the weekend free i think i was trying to go to it and just didn't hear anything back so yeah
0: oh well well i remember it was uh i think it was me maybe two years prior or it would have been three i guess god the way time flies um with me, it was like two or three years prior when I had, uh, I, had I had considered doing that last-minute thing at WonderCon, and that was right when I was getting out of the first draft of my novel. And at the last minute, I heard that I could, in fact, show up there and get a table. And then I decided, now I'm not going to do The Table. And that was the one where you were there and my buddy Albert was there and you weren't that far from each other. Um, and you had said that that was a pretty underwhelming WonderCon. But more importantly, I just wanted the weekend because it was time to like get back into my novel. So I wouldn't say... Yeah, I mean, I thought WonderCon was almost identical to how it was three years ago. But same vibe as you with being in small press. Like, less foot traffic. Like, substantially less foot traffic. And yet... More, a greater percentage of the people that showed up bought stuff, so it all worked out in the end. Same, you know, exact same. I was, I was
1: talking to people that were asking me how it was going. I was like, "Look, here is a weird thing: not getting a ton of foot traffic, but my success rate when talking to people about the book—if people stopped to talk—the first day, I was selling eighty-five percent. Every time, mm-hmm. this, 85% of the people that stopped by bought something, which is a yeah. crazy high success rate. Um, the mm-hmm. next day was 50-50. The, next, the third day was 50-50. But yeah. every single day, uh, sales-wise, was right around the same amount. So that's that was something that was very fascinating to me. Um, arguably, the third day was the best day. But I did have uh, my normal client that I, I draw mermaids for. It's, it's just what he loves. He popped in. On the first day, and um, I handed him off a couple of commissions I had already finished for him, a couple of prints, and uh, as well as the originals, because he has he commissions me not only for my line art but also for my colorist. So every time I do a piece with him, it's it's two pieces. Um, so he came by, and and usually at that show, he likes to indulge himself with other artists because I'm usually someone who communicates with him year long, and so I said, hey, you know, I know you always you know, commission everyone else, which is, which is awesome. But Hey, if you got something quick and and you don't have anyone for it, like I'm totally cool to do it. So if you want it done this weekend, just let me know. And so he goes about his day and, and before the day is done, I would say halfway, he comes back, he goes, Hey, did you really want a easy commission? I was like, yeah. So um, I ended up finishing it by the third day on Sunday. Mm -hmm. I, I gave it to him. So you can argue that commission was done, on uh, the Friday, or you can argue that since I completed it and gave it to him Sunday uh, and got paid Sunday, the that money goes to Sunday. So that's how mm-hmm. I looked at it. If you minus him, almost all three days were identical minus give or take 10, 15 bucks, and then yeah. you put his commission where you want to. So <laughs> um, overall, it, it ended very nicely. And I, I, he actually gave me another easy take home commission um, oh, okay. that I could knock yeah. out in like two days and then
0: then send it his way. So it's pretty cool. Good deal, man. Well, oh, that's very cool. that's very cool. Um, my things this week are sort of small so uh, so maybe we'll we'll just get to the meaty ep- meat of the episode quicker. So after a long layoff, I finally reviewed the script to animals. So animals is a story told in ten chapters. The first eight are pretty much done and where I am with chapters nine and ten where I was with chapters nine and ten was i, I I'd sent them to Mike I'd sent the script to Mike and said, hey, take a look at this. Um, But I didn't hear back from other other stuff came up for him. And then I was like enough time had passed where I'm like, let me take a look at it again. And in the meantime, I told the artist just hold off because chapters nine and 10 are going to be predominantly comic book art. They're going to be very full, lots of comic art pages as opposed to hybrid style, which we've done for the balance of the episode. So because that's comic, that's that's fresh drawing that hasn't been done yet. I wanted to hold off until I feel really great about the script.
1: How many issues is Animal? Is
0: it 10 or how many how many chapters do you have in each issue? So the the question and maybe this is a workshop thing. I we don't know if it's going to be issues or a graphic novel. I will say that after the three protectors experience, my preference is to make it individual comics and then release them in a trade personally. So with Three Protectors, it was like a 66-page graphic novel, and in hindsight, I think I would have liked to just release that as two comic books, two bigger comic books. With Animals, it's probably going to end up being about 70 pages, and I feel like that's just a short graphic novel, or I can make it three comics, So we're still going to have some more conversations about it. But I'm inclined to want to make a comic. So I think if it's anything, it's either going to be a short graphic novel, like 70-ish pages, or a three-issue limited series. Something right around there. All right on, man. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. um,
1: All dependent on how quickly the pages get drawn and put out there is always how I think that that's the mindset of how you're going to put out your product. Like, how quickly can I get it out? Yeah. And, you know, how quickly can this artist give me those pages? Yeah, I actually had a, a similar conversation with uh, one of my studio mates, uh, Rodney Anderson Jr. He was next to me at Small Press, which I kind of feel a little guilty about. Because on the first day, he comes over to say hi to me. And I'm like, hey, man, what, what happened? I thought you were going to do Small Press. And he goes, oh, I'm an artist alley and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, yeah, I probably couldn't, you know, I, I, too much time had passed. And I thought I couldn't get anymore. So I just did Artist Alley. And I was like, actually, there's tables open. You know, Alex is right there. And, um, you know, he's like, all right, man, let's just do it. Let's do it. So he ended up posting up next to me, which was nice, because if he didn't do that, it would have been a miserable three days because I would have had no one really to talk to. Um, I'm good about talking to people around me, but it's not as natural as someone that's already your friend, you know, Um, unless it's you. Like, because me and Ed, when we got seated next to you, it was just so easy to talk to you and like... We all had so much in common, but that's yeah. you know. I mean, but again, that's that's
0: between. a that is a bolt of lightning. You know what I mean? Like I like like our. I mean, I have three people that that I got placed next to and have hit it off to the point where I call them friends. You're one of them, and obviously we do podcasts together. We hang out all the time, and then there's sort of a drop, and then there's my buddy Albert Wynn who good friend of mine great friend of mine and um we actually like shared a hotel or an airbnb for a convention so i mean it can happen you know and uh it so i i get it but yeah it's it's rare dude it's so rare
1: yeah so so uh, so i got him to be next to me i told him halfway through the show i was like i'm so sorry man he's like why and i was like because i convinced you to come to small press and you could have been an artist alley <laughs> like with better foot traffic. he's like it's all good man but um so in that conversation we were talking about the book that he does, and um, he's he's a slow artist. He's, he's slow at interiors. He's not he's not quick by any stretch of the imagination, and so we were talking about his book, and he had said that he was planning on releasing the whole thing as a graphic novel. Um, he had only had the first issue out, and he's been working on the second issue for, for I don't know how long, and um, so he had mentioned that. He's like, you know, I think I'm just going to just do a graphic novel and release it all at once. And so I basically told him, I said, look, man, I was like, I heard your plan. Cause he had told someone. And then he told me, um, I was like, I don't look if you're set on it. Obviously this is, it's your path. You can do whatever you want to do, but you and I aren't the fastest artists. So if you don't put a comic book out, like when are you going to put this graphic novel out? When are you going to complete every single issue of this? How many years is that going to take you? Five years, six years, 10 years. So just, we don't, I don't know how long it's going to take you to draw that. I don't know, you know how long it's going to take you to draw that. So for that X amount of years, you're not going to have a new comic book out. I was like, but if you release single issues, you'll constantly be able to say, hey, I just got this issue out. I'm working on the next one. If you don't put anything out, everyone's going to, everyone that knows you is going to have issue one, for, for however long, and and are they going to wait around for that next, for the, for the rest of the volume, or are they just going to wait around for the next issue, so it's definitely something to think about, and I think he is thinking about it, um, but, you know, for you artists out there, if that's something you're looking to do, like, look, I understand the trade paperback, the graphic novel, it's a better sales item, you can pitch that a lot easier to people, it's a complete story, or it's a complete part of a story that you're selling off to someone, but... If you take forever to draw it, write it, put it together, whatever the case is, X amount of years that you're not going to have product out in the field when you're doing these conventions. So if you have returning customers going like, oh, hey, do you have the next issue? And it's five years later, they're probably going to give up on that series because as far as they know, they're never going to see the rest of it again. You know, and when they finally do, how invested are they going to be in those characters?
0: I don't know if I've mentioned this to you. So here's the thing. Animals is a story told in 10 chapters with the exception of lettering okay which does not take long the first 8 chapters are complete oh wow like i could i could i could i could throw up a kickstarter tomorrow for a release date in like july and get it done cuz all it is is lettering you know so now that you know you're you're talking me into making this a, a three issue limited series, because again, only the final issue isn't done of the three. And given how the indie comic world works, and hi- given the fact that Keith does three properties, I mean, Three Protectors is going to come out, and that's almost going to be like an annual kind of thing, because it's it's a longer thing. It's a gra- it's meant to be small graphic novels, but animals. I mean, you could, again, you could just say, do comic issues and go from there. And again, it's 80% done. Why don't I do something with it? So anyway, um, that's, you know, I'm, I'm a little torn on that because I also, I mean, I, I want to have new stuff out there and, you know, I want, I want people to know me for more than the guy who writes Kadoja, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but anyway, so, so with that, here's the other thing too. The, the comic market is sort of at odds with itself. Because graphic novels are what people care about who want the story. But in a lot of ways, single issues are what stir the drink of the comic market. You know, what have you said a billion times on this podcast? You're a single issue guy. I personally get single issues whenever I can, unless it's just so unattainable where I'm like, fuck this. And that's the difference there for you and me. We split at ice cream, man. You know, for ice cream, man, I'm like, this is too fucking much, dude. I'm just buying trades for 15 bucks a pop, and that's good enough for me, you know? But in general, if I have the choice to buy single issues or trades, like, I might miss out on a complete story, and I'm like, oh, this trade collects single issues? Let me try to get the single issues. I'll do that all the time. So single issues are where the heat's at. Single issues are what people like to buy on the on the promise that the comics gonna become a, a, an IP that gets option somewhere, you know, it's always the comics. So um, so anyway, yeah, you're, you're, you're definitely talking me into just doing some single issues. So and, and to your point, if I do single issues, then I can release animals one by the fall convention circuit. I mean, I could do it sooner. But if I did it sooner, then I'd be stepping on the toes of um, three protectors, which seems silly you know like why would i want to do that i'm i'm now cannibalizing my own sort of bandwidth because you want to time it so that you always have something new to talk about and and honestly it's more it's it makes your pitches at the table
1: at conventions a little more diverse as well you can talk about one property and you can just look at their face and see if it's something they're interested in it's like okay is this grabbing them at all this one doesn't yeah. seem to be grabbing them okay let me switch it up let me talk about this other book and mm-hmm. you can see The difference in their faces, like when when you're talking about different properties. So you can kind of go like, okay, this is the one that's getting them, so let me hard sell this
0: one a little bit more. Totally. Totally. Yeah, anyway, so that'll be fun. Again, I I think I'll... I'll have to think about that a little more and probably have a conversation with, with Mike on it. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of having the, the mental equivalent of beer muscles right now talking to you like we're going to stop recording this podcast and I'm going to call up Mike and be like, Mike, I've decided that I want to release it as single issues. And that's that. <laughs> you got You got to have that whole process play out in your brain in a calm moment and then go from there. But yeah, you got me. You got me thinking that single issues may be the route as well. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that was, uh, that was sort of my first thing. So, uh, I actually, we never got to the first thing, which was I went through it, I edited it and, uh, and I really like it, you know, like the thing about animals is that I've mentioned before on the podcast, it's quieter, it's a little more subtle in terms of how it works, but you know, okay. I've been at this spot where recently where I wonder like, is the stuff I like, is the stuff I'm doing too subtle? Okay. And without, you know, I'm just going to go kind of thematic here, okay? The kind of stuff that I think my horror falls in line with are the following kind of things. The movie Hereditary, the movie The Witch, the movie Midsommar, those kind of movies. I just read an amazing book called Sea of Tranquility. That is a. It's basically like the Time Variance Authority meets the movie Interstellar. It is fantastic. I love it so much because it's a little quieter and a little bit of a slower burn. But like when when people listening out there right now, they know that like those type of movies, like people love those movies. You know, those movies are all like cult classics. And this is where it goes back into something Scott's talked about a lot, where do the thing you want to do. There will be an audience for it. And so I'm starting to step into that a little bit of like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm concerning myself that like my horror is not quote big enough and yet similar vain horror people love, you know, so as long as I'm executing it well, then I think that puts me in a good spot. So anyway, uh, I, I liked it and I sent it off to Mike for final review. And then after that we can start, you know, I can send it over to the artist and, uh, and hey. Maybe after this conversation, we'll end up turning that into a nice three-issue limited series or something like that. So what was your uh, second thing?
1: I am moving along quickly on Wanderers of Melisanda. I was actually thinking for a little bit, I was going to fall completely behind. And death was just going to wipe the floor with me since we're in our race to finish our issues. Um, because I did San Diego Comic Fest, that affects me putting out pages or working on pages because I'm working on prints. I'm making sure I have enough stock for the shows, you know, like have I ordered enough? Do I need to reorder? And so that bit of it kind of, you know, put a halt on me working on interiors. So luckily I've been able to get back on it and I actually did something with the story. So I've mentioned previously on the pod that I've added some pages just so the story flow works a lot better. Well, what I discovered when I was working on the last pages were I have a great stopping point and I had missed it. So there is a fight scene at the end of the third issue. And I realized I can save the whole fight scene for the next issue. So I can actually trim two pages off technically one, because I have to add a uh, reveal as the last page. So I trimmed off, I trimmed off three pages of story, um, one I had already finished, so I had a completed page for for this issue that I'm not going to use anymore, and uh, so that's kind of frustrating in itself. However, I can always use that, always use that in the next issue, so, so that's a positive. Um, and there was two pages that I have not touched yet, so I was able to shave off three pages, two untouched, one finished, and then add a splash page in as the reveal shot for the end of this image. So um, I worked all that process out yesterday, and I already am working on the splash page. And it's like, you know, all of most of the line work is there. I think I have to draw one hand in one form, and then everything else is there. Everything's lined out. I just have to add line weight, and then that page will be done. So it's kind of good. Um, I'm saving myself some space. I'm trimming off two pages on the total. And that actually is going to save me four pages overall, because the number count that I was going to land on was too short to have mm-hmm. a letters page or anything like that. So I would have yep. to add four more. Um, so in this instance, by removing, um, you know, a couple of pages, I'm actually able to have that letters page and don't need to add any extra pages. So it's going to save me yeah, some man. money and it's
0: going to save me some time because I'm trimming off, you know, a page. Good essentially. deal. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, my my second thing is super quick. It, it It's worth touching base on the novel. Um, I, I, I had a workshop last night, actually, and it was a very helpful workshop because I'm, I'm getting into this final scene, which it's the kind of scene where the character, the lead puts everything together, puts a lot of stuff together. And when you have that kind of scene, when you have this kind of scene that's like the the mystery solving scene where, you know, the stuff all forms, those can be very intense to write because you have to make sure that you bring up all the right things. So the reader remembers them and you want to sort of solve the, the puzzle, but you don't want to inundate with just a whole lot of useless crap either. So I'm on like my third, fourth pass of that. And, uh, and the workshops came back really good, but something that came up that was interesting was everybody agreed that the character jumped to one specific conclusion a little too fast. And while it's not a comic thing, you know, it's my second thing, so I might as well bring it up in case somebody out there is writing novels as well or writing prose. That there's always this difference between author brain and lead character brain, right? Because I'm the author, I'm the god of the universe, I know absolutely everything that happens, And that can be particularly difficult in certain spots when the lead character is piecing together stuff because the author knows everything. So sometimes it can be very hard to have that disconnect between the author, aka God, and the lead character and what they know, you know, so this was one of those cases where they all agreed that the lead character jumped to a conclusion a little too quick and that there's a way to draw that out a little bit more. So I thought that was an interesting note. And it's a kind of thing that, hey, maybe it does have an application in comics. I'm not sure. I know it would in in the in the event of mysteries in any format, that's a great note, I think, to take is that you know you gotta you know, differentiate between God author and lead character slash main character slash narrator and make sure you're not conflating the two.
1: Yeah, it it definitely happens in comics. It's something that Ed and I have talked about. Um, you know, it's like I thought like on one of the scripts I thought I was like, "Hey, are they jumping to this conclusion? Like, where's where's the lead into this? Where in this episode or issue does do they get this type of information and ed points it out to me you know so it can happen but this mm-hmm. this very important for the proofreading end of it you know what i mean so the yeah. workshops just like they're proofreading your story they're they're finding the holes and what needs to be fixed and all of that so yeah it definitely happens in comics all the time
0: yeah i mean and, and to to use uh, an example we've used before an example my buddy martin brought up a whole lot uh, Chekhov's gun right the, the question with the element of Chekhov's gun is always, for to use a movie term, how long do you hold the camera on it? You know, like, if you have something that the reader needs to know, you don't want to be too subtle about it. You know what I mean like you don't want to have some element to solve a mystery be like a vial on the butler tray in scene 2 of murder she wrote that the that the fucking audience sees for 2 seconds and then it comes away and then when you bust that out at the end it's like oh but the butler had a pair of scissors on the tray And that mattered. It's like, you're expecting an audience to remember a two second glimpse of a pair of fucking scissors on a tray as a critical thing, you know, but on the other hand, you don't want to like have the camera just like scissors. I watched something that was kind of like that, where they concentrated
1: on something like scissors and you're like, oh God, they're going to stab them with scissors but there's Mm -hmm. also something right next to the scissors. So it it, it does, it did that intentionally where they held it on the scissors for a second too long. And -hmm. it goes, Oh fuck. Like those are coming into play. It was so blatant that they did that. That's getting used. And then totally. So when the scene comes up, and they reach towards the scissors. They actually grab the pin next to it, and then so it was oh, okay. like, "Oh, I see what they did there." It was Look like what you did. intentionally yeah. misleading you, thinking you're going to use this one thing when it was actually <laughs> something else that was in the scene. So I, yeah. I kind of like stuff like that. But yeah, it's yeah. how long do you hold on that image and, and all of that. Yeah,
0: yeah. How I mean, how long? Again, it's just it's 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 both a writer and an artist question. Right, because as a writer, you wanna make you, you want the balance where you're making the reader work and you're not hand holding and you're not but you're also not whisking by the thing and counting on them to just pull some shit out of their ass like you're basically doing. And as an artist in comics, since you're controlling the camera that's going to be something, too. I mean, again, imagine if during a critical scene of a comic where something happened, all of a sudden the the writer, uh, the the artist pulls like a page out of Japanese comics and then just has a triple repeat panel of something. And you're like, well, that's obviously important, <laughs> you know, like you could be glaringly obvious on it. So it's always about finding that right calibration point on what to do. Absolutely. Yeah. So, hey, we did this before, which is kind of funny, um, even though I'm the host. Uh, it's time to get to the main topic of the episode, and uh, and yeah, we're going to go at least a, another week or two on this, maybe more. We'll see how it goes. But the hardest part of making comics, and we are part duh. So even though I'm the host, you're gonna I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you, and you're going to read off some things, and we're just going to kind of rhyme off the dome and and chop it up and and see what happens.
1: All right. So this is all stemming from an open-ended question that I asked on Twitter. Uh, what's the hardest part of making comics so I got a ton of responses in and so we're just gonna go read people's responses What the hardest thing about making comics is for them and just chop it up See you see what comes of it, and uh, hopefully this will be worth listening to so uh, the first one is from at Joe underscore the astronaut I think the hardest part for me is pitching it to people. I like to work with tough subject matter, and some folks aren't quite ready to believe that there are readers who need this perspective or that it's too controversial to sell well.
0: Well, wow. I mean, without, without context to that, I'm not sure. that like That almost sounded like two separate things. Can I hear that one more time? I think the hardest part for me is pitching it to people. I like
1: to work with tough subject matter, and some folks aren't quite ready to believe that there are readers who need this perspective or that it's too controversial to sell well. I hear you. Okay, it's a, it's a yeah. little it's a little clunky. Um, but also well, hey, there's, it's there's, Twitter, so you kind of got yeah, to make it fit. In the, <laughs> not not that Twitter is a dumpster fire, which it is at times. Yeah, but the yeah. fact that you have only so many characters to write what you need to write. So
0: I mean, um, it's it's a dumpster fire and it doesn't make sense. Which which is why it makes total sense that someone would pay forty four billion dollars for managing con- partner control of it. Right. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, I hear two things there, right? I hear complex topics and then I hear controversial topics. And I think those two things are very different to me. You know, um, if if we just eliminate the controversial element of it, I think that's what I'd like to do for my answer. Because pitching something, pitching a complex topic is not easy but I also think it's, and I get it, it's a hard part of making comics, but I also think that that's sort of the challenge that you heap on yourself if you want to tackle something that's a bit more dense and complex. Hey, if that person's listening to this podcast, then all I can say is that people like Carl Sagan and Stephen Hawking figure out a way to pitch their ideas to people that aren't as smart as them. And uh, and maybe we can all take a page or two out of that book and figure out a way to take complex things and turn them into a pitch that's digestible or even better take that complex thing take a couple elements of it and then have that be your pitch you know the entirety of the story doesn't need to be the pitch it just needs to be a hook you know that's that's almost what the pitch is it's a hook it's a way to get someone to ask you well then what or wow, or, or or for them to think, wow, I really need to buy this so I can understand what's going on and get deeper into it. You know, you can have a complex thing, but that doesn't mean your pitch has to be complex. It just means that the story itself is complex.
1: I think that's a great answer. I wish that was the answer I gave online. So I was answering these questions as, as much as I could. I didn't want anyone to feel left out or unheard. So I was definitely responding to a lot of people, but that's a great response. You're your whole story doesn't need to be inside of your pitch. It needs to be a quick elevator pitch. <laughs> Drink up every time you hear to here to say the yeah. way pitch there. Um, <laughs> bullshit, 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 bullshit. Drink up for last episode. Right, wingspan, and um, yeah. So so working on your pitch is definitely something we've covered here. It needs to be something quick, a couple of sentences that you can give to a passerby. Um, that won't take up too much of their time. You want to be able to hook them. Something I do is I change my pitch up every once in a while, and I just stare at their face because they're more than likely looking down at the comic book um, Mm -hmm. if you're doing this in person at a show. So I find that they stare at the art while I'm pitching it to them. Sometimes they're looking back at me. Most of the time they're staring down at it. So I get a clear indication of what part of the, the pitch hooks them. And uh, so I've gotten it down over the years. I know exactly what to say to people. And if I see that they're hooked on that pitch, then I expand. I have, for Wanderers, I have three different pitches. You know, it's anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans. That's one of my fast pitches.
0: It never works. It never works. Oh, wow. It's, it's a trigger response, Scott. You can't, you can't just do that in the middle of an episode. <laughs> uh,
1: the second pitch is Avatar The Last Airbender meets He-Man and that usually gets people of my generation. If I say that to people, they usually go, "Oh, for real?" Like and like that's the yeah. one that gets them. And then I go into the third one where where Keith always says it never works. So that's the yeah. slightly longer pitch. It gives you a better overall of the story, but there are 3 very quick pitches two super quick pitches and one that's hey they're at the table they seem to enjoy it so let me tell them a little bit more and uh, so that's something that you need to work on just hit those key notes of of your comic what makes your comic special what makes your comic unique make sure those are the elements that you're hitting in the pitch and you should be good to go um if they're like if it's a complex thing is there a movie that's comparable like like i like i just said right now avatar last airbender meets he-man that gives everyone a clear indication of kind of what my books about like it kind of it gives them the vibe like oh those are two vibes that I'm interested in reading. So what does right. that look like? So if if right. like your weird controversial pick is like it's um what's that uh what's that um TV show with Zendaya on HBO? Oh fuck, I don't know. Um The 76ers? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh whatever that <laughs> Shows and dies on um, meets Momento. You know what I mean? So it's like, those those yeah. are two really weird programs that you wouldn't put together. But it'll like, it kind of gives you an idea in your brain like, whoa, okay, okay. And then you yeah. can move on from there. But um, yeah, yeah. hit him with the,
0: the high notes and get out of there. Or to quote Missy Elliott, hit him with the hee-hee. <laughs> but uh, but I, I did want to mention one more thing. I don't think I've said this story on the podcast before, but... I, don't, I have I mentioned before how I just dislike Hollywood. No, okay. So as as a person who just moved to L.A. twelve plus years ago, um, you know it's funny how people from outside of Los Angeles think Los Angeles is Hollywood, right? Hollywood is this tiny little fucked up macrocosm douchebag e place, right, that has so little to do with Los Angeles. It's embarrassing. You know what I mean? So like, dear world, if you think Los Angeles is like Hollywood, you are very mistaken. Like most many many people who live in LA cannot stand Hollywood. I am one of those people. It's like my least favorite neighborhood to go into. I'll go in there cuz Amoeba's there. I mean, I'm not stupid, you know, but Um, But, you know, in general, it's just it's it's a wash with people that that talk up a good game. Like, have you ever seen those Sprite commercials where a person where like the girl walks into a 7-Eleven and and she's rapping the guys like, oh, I didn't know a big time rapper was in here. And then she goes like, rapper, I'm a I'm a fashion designer. I'm going to tell big Hollywood stories. I'm a this. I'm a that. And it's like. I'm 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 thinking you're an asshole that's buying a Sprite in a fucking convenience store. You know, like like I I just feel like Sprite had that ad backfire totally because it makes it seem like they are the the official soft drink of people that talk a good game and don't back it up at all. Those Sprite commercials are what it's like to talk to people who are in Hollywood. Because <laughs> cuz those people are always talking like that and I remember I was at a buddy's um just very small party And I was talking to somebody and she, she, she like unironically referred to herself as a triple threat. She's like, I am what is known as a triple threat. I can sing, I can dance and I can act. And I'm just like, you know, I've acted a lot and you just don't strike me as a good actor, (laughs) you know, but okay, sure. You know, so I ask her, I'm like, oh, you're in a band. Well, like, who do you sound like? Oh, you can't define our sound. And then so to know me is to know that like I'm gonna keep pressing. So I was like, I'd like you to try. (laughs) Right? And she's like, Well, our sound is just undefinable. I'm like, Do you do any covers of bands? And she mentions a couple covers. I'm like, So you're sort of, you know, like this. And she's like, Well, we're not like that, but we're sort of like that. And I'm like, Well. You know, like what instruments are in your band? Like, it was just like a, a 17 question thing. And what I basically found out is they were a retro R&B band, <laughs> you know, and it's like the the and, and this is something that comes up in, in all forms of industry in age from agents, from everybody. You need to be able to relate your shit to other people's stuff, you know. So if you say my style is is undefinable, this thing is undefinable, you know, I think there's a challenge there for you to figure out a way to make that happen. And again, that's, that's a total tangent from where this question came up from. But I do think that, like, some of the difficulty in people pitching their stuff is, A, they think that everything has to fit into the pitch. And B, they're almost scared to compare it to something else because you don't want to be conflated with something else. You know, so, but, but there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with getting comparisons out there. And uh, comparisons are what is actually going to draw people to your stuff as opposed to alienate people from your stuff. You know, like when you said, what, Avatar versus He-Man, right? Avatar meets He-Man. Like, okay, people are dialed in now, you know? So they're like, I like both of those things, so I think I'll like this.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I got a couple of quick ones. They're from
1: uh, creators, uh, well-known creators in the field. This one is uh, from Jimmy Poundioti. Responding, to what's the hardest part about making comics? Companies treating talent with respect and transparency. (laughs) Go, Jimmy. It's a great one. Uh, Jimmy is a staple in the comics industry. He's uh, been around forever. You know, uh, was an inker back in the day with uh, Joe Quesada and uh, has ventured off doing his own books. And uh, I have backed a lot of them on Kickstarter. So he's yeah. he's definitely one that is part of the indie world. You know, he's a well-known creator, but he partakes in the Kickstarter waters and he puts a lot of books out there, um, like solely. I think a lot of the books that he does, he doesn't even try to go through the direct market. He just goes, hey, here's direct to yeah. me. Here's Your money goes directly to me and then I give you the book. And so, you yeah. know, to have someone of his caliber... Uh, going the kickstarter route solely is very impressive and very cool. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean I think it I think it speaks to something interesting. I mean obviously there is a lot baked into that response, you right. know, and and I thought it was so cool that Jimmy Palmiotti responded, you know, but uh so yeah, I mean I think it is interesting to your point to to just observe his arc, right? That he worked for the big two um and then did some other stuff and now has decided to kind of venture his own way and just say, Hey, whatever I sell, I sell, but it's, it's me. It's me. That's getting it. And I'm the one getting the money and I'm creating the product and I'm interfacing directly with fans. So, you know, props to him. I think that's a great thing.
1: Yep. And we got another one from Oming, uh, lining up those staples. I, it's, it's from Oming. So <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's you mean, cool. uh, let's, let's Michael look. Von Oming,
0: right? Like that has to be him, right? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. From powers. <laughs> lining up those staples hey he's done a couple books on his own too that are really fun yeah absolutely that's a blast yeah lining up those staples
1: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and you hilarious. know what's funny is that's he wasn't the only one that said that there were a few people who were like yeah getting the staples lined up and i'm like are you guys doing this shit by hand do you guys not have companies?" <laughs> like what's going yeah on? that's what i'm thinking <laughs> and definitely like, oming like come on man You, yeah. i think you got the cheddar
0: um, yeah, yeah. Your, your your books your books print in the thousands, if not tens of thousands. I guarantee you're not hand stapling them. <laughs> Apparently, he is. He's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's yeah.
1: trying to finish an order from a Kickstarter he did ten years ago.
0: <laughs> hey man, you know you you never know with this stuff. You never know with this yeah. stuff. That's for really, that's really funny though.
1: Yeah, so very cool. Um, all right. This one is from at pink amel excuse me pink apple jam art. Um, the silence, despite having many readers. So that's that's an interesting one. Um, I I constantly ask people to send me feedback. I was like, give me give me something for the letters column if you like or dislike the book. I just, you know, give me something. Feel free to shoot me an email. Let's let's talk about what you're digging in the story, what you're not digging, you know, whatever. And you just don't hear anything back. You still get those backers. You still get the people that are backing your projects and picking your books up on a regular. But man, it takes forever to get someone to respond to you and say, you know, something, something about your book. So I, I definitely yeah. feel this one and uh interesting one for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's a brilliant one in a lot of ways, because I also do not get a lot of direct feedback on the books, you know, um, and it's. The, the best feedback that you can get in a lot of ways is just the sales. Um, I mean, I have plenty of people that buy volume one and then I see them two years later and they buy volume two and it's like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, that kind of thing. And obviously, we both work a lot of conventions. You You wish you could remember everybody by name, but you know a familiar face when you see it, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're familiar. And so if they buy like volume two, and you're like, oh, well, hey, that was that was that was really cool. But uh, but yeah, you're not going to get a lot of that 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 inner interfacing. You're not going to get a lot of that feedback because the the truth of the matter is, a very very small percentage of people is going to interface with you or, or interact with you, and uh, that's just sort of the way it is. You know, that's that's why conventions are fun. Because that is that. I mean, I've I've mentioned that before about conventions. That conventions are the great time where you actually get to get out there and and talk to people and interface with people. And um, yeah, it's it's great. You know, it's great. And uh, I'm I'm gonna bring up something else too. I'm gonna paraphrase this because I can't remember the exact quote. But Kurt Vonnegut brings up a great line by the author uh, Kilgore Trout. So fake author that's sort of. Kurt Vonnegut in, in Kurt Vonnegut's world in the movie Slaughterhouse-Five and when somebody goes to see Kilgore Trout they, they visit him and they say hey this is a I, I'm a huge fan of your novels whatever and he's like you know that's great like I almost never get feedback from everybody anybody you know I just sit here right uh, out my window and make love to the world. <laughs> and never get any feedback from it, that's and great. it's like that. That's such a great Vonnegut line, you know. But uh, but I think that that's something we can all relate to. You know, we just sit in our quiet place or in our studio, and and we love that little feedback. And God knows we all chew the ears off our spouses, our friends, our kids, our close acquaintances. And the, and what's awesome is they're all here for us, you know. So. While interfacing with fans is awesome and, you know, it's, it's great when it happens, that's sort of the solitary nature of making this, you know, you, you sit around and you create a product and the thing is that fans are interfacing with that product. They're just not interfacing with you, right? You know, your, your job is to make a book that goes out into the world and then allow people to interact with that book. However, they want to interact with that book. But unfortunately they may never interact with you because they're just interacting with the book. So anyway, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's the breaks. It's the way this industry is. And, uh, and hopefully over time you end up getting a few, at least a few little bits of feedback that, uh, that keep that machine humming. Absolutely,
1: yeah. The return customer is some of the best feedback that you are getting without getting words. Um, I actually, uh, funny enough, last time you were in town, we were at SoCal Comics, and you were like, hey, I'm finishing up, I'm going to go pay for these. Like, yeah, I'm almost done too. And I had just so happened to see a couple of people staring at the accidental alien spinner rack. And so I pitched them. I said, "Hey, just so you guys know, I actually do these books. Like these these series here. These are my series out of out of the ones we had on there." And they're like, "Oh, really?" So I was talking to them about my books, about what they were about, and they were really interested in the um, uh, Drawtober turn fully formed comic issues. So they ended up picking them up, and. I ended up seeing uh, two of the people, two of the ladies that bought the book and, and she was at so uh, San Diego comic fest and she showed up, she had her mask on. So I didn't, I didn't recognize her. You I only met her the one time and I said, hi, or I was like, Oh, she, she's like, I already have these ones. I was like, Oh you, so you have some of the series, which issues do you have? And she goes, I met you at So Soca, or SoCal comics. And I was like, that's right. So we got to talking. And so she's like, yeah, I was hoping you were going to be at the show. And so I said, well, these are my newest issues. I'm I really like this story. She's like, "Okay, I'll get this storyline." So she grabbed issues 9 and 10, which is a two-part story. And nice. so that was that was great feedback in itself because she saw me randomly at a, sh- at a at a comic shop. I pitched her on on the process of the Drawtober issues and she loved it, and she okay. came back for more. So that was that was super cool. Um, and I actually had another guy come by. I was sitting there with my buddy Ramel. Ramel had stopped in. And he was sitting with me behind the booth. We're chilling out. And this guy walks up to the booth and goes, Scott lost? And he was pointing at both of us. He didn't know who was who. And I was like, oh, that's me. And he just stuck his hand. Are you the cops? <laughs> you the fuzz man. You got to tell me. You weren't a <laughs> wire. It's him. It's him. He's, yeah, he's Yeah, Scott yeah. Lost. Look at him. He's got a beard. Um, yeah. So he stuck his hand out, gave him a handshake. And he goes, I bought issue, volume one of Second Shift at SoCal Comics, and I loved it. He goes, do you have the second volume? And I didn't hear volume. I heard issue. So I started pitching him on the whole series, like all the singles and stuff and all that. Right. And he goes, No, no. He's I, like, no dumbass. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> oh, I don't mess around with single issues. I I just do the trades. I was like, oh, you said volume, that's right. So that's something we talked about a, a few weeks ago and it's something that I realize I need to get on is putting out that second volume. So as soon as yeah. soon as issue three of Wanders is done, I'm definitely hopping on that. So um but yeah man, uh some good feedback. Some people just coming by the table looking for that next issue or that next volume. And and that's some of the best feedback you can get.
0: Yeah, and there's a great line out there. I don't know who said it. It might even be un uncredited, but um, there's a line somewhere that says, "I could live for one week on one compliment." Yeah. I mean, again, the feedback is few and far between, it, man, and we you ride high. We get it? Yep, you yeah, ride high on exactly. it.
1: It carries you. It makes you excited to create more. I know that that's the case for me. If I get some positive feedback, I'm I'm high as a kite, and I want to just keep yeah. on working.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, the next one is marketing in a super dense arena. So I actually wasn't sure what they meant by that, and I responded with, "If you mean at a convention, that it's a that's a." Ima-
0: <sighs> let's try that he again. means he means being encased in an atom of uranium 238 <laughs> um yeah I that's hadn't... science jokes because see it's a dense molecule it's that's a dense element and that's why that's funny <laughs>
1: um so, I mis- misunderstood. I thought it, they meant at conventions. And so, I mentioned trying to find, like, pitches and angles which make your book sound unique. And uh, they are like, no, no, conventions are pretty smooth. Industry people are a captive audience. I mean the marketplace itself. A literal sea of books, web, com- web comics, self-published stuff, small press, and indie stuff. Marketing can be arduous. There is so much of everything everywhere. And... yeah. Man, if that ain't the truth, you know, like everyone goes, oh, have you seen season three of, you know, Narcos or something like that? And you're like, no, I have a thousand things to watch. There's just so much good of everything. You know, the fact that people can put together their own books, put it out into the world, um, some people will just never find it. You know, some some product is so good out there and no one knows about it because there's just too much good shit that you're competing with so i really feel this one this one's a great one and um yeah marketing in a super dense arena is is very tough you know like we've mentioned even at even at shows like for me i have a superhero title and i have a fantasy title um keith has a giant monster comic so keith's fan base is like dialed in he's gonna get 95 90 percent of of the giant monster crowd because it is such a limited crowd that those people will be drawn to that pick it up if they dig it they'll keep picking it up me on the other hand um Wanderers is very easy to pitch but Second Shift is slightly harder to pitch because it is a superhero comic you know like when you're working a convention floor the majority of the convention is superhero stuff so how do you make it unique I tell people it's a story about minimum wage superheroes. It's slightly misleading because that makes it sound like they're getting paid to be superheroes. They're getting paid 15 mm-hmm. bucks an hour. But hey, whatever it gets them to stop at the table and take a minute, then I can pitch them the whole thing. And whether they lose interest or gain more interest and find it interesting and they pick up the books, so be it. But you have yeah. to get that. And this all comes back to the hook. You got to get that hook and try to lock them in. So, But as far as me having a book out on the shelf with you know the 50 other comics that came out that week it's tough the the best thing you can do is make your cover the most eye appealing eye-catching thing out there and hopefully people will give it a chance and pick it up
0: yeah i mean I, i would just add one little addendum on there which is understand that you should be in this for the long haul and uh and the the longer you're in it for the more likely good things will come to you Because that's how this works in such a cluttered marketplace, with so many really good things, great things, competing against your great thing. Persistence is 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 your best tool. You know, I I remember hearing that. I remember hearing that on like a radio station when I was ten, and a person just whoever it was on this radio station talked about how persistence is the thing that that pays off the most. And I, I I took that to heart, and I agree with it. Persistence is the thing you know, out of all the traits out there, the one that that's going to pay off the most. And it's still a very low percentage, but it's the highest percentage out there is just being persistent and sticking to it.
1: Yeah. Put your product out there, put as much of your product out there, just overwhelm them with the product. You know, I have so many books at my table. People just kind of stop because there's like, Oh shit, that's a lot of books. And they're just some, one of them catches their eye. You just kind of try to Follow their eyeline, see what they're looking at, and, and try to talk to them about it and hope that works out. Again, this is convention stuff. That's how I deal with, th- and that's primarily how I distribute my books. My books are distributed at comic conventions or sold online, and so, or, you know, through Kickstarters. So, you just gotta have the most eye-appealing cover you can to try to get those people. Yeah. Um, Casper, I'm sorry about that. Um, this is probably more of a me problem, but I spend way too much time on the individual page layout. Uh, doesn't help that I have a bunch of self-imposed rules as well.
0: Um, that's one, that's all for you, Scott. I'm just going to sit back and listen.
1: Okay. So my recommendation is always to lay out if you're able to lay out your pages in a spreadsheet. Lay out as many pages near each other as possible if you can get that layout to mimic how the how that would unfold in a comic book the better and uh, Make sure your flow is good, so that's something to take into account for when doing your layouts But you know it's okay to take your time, but just don't get stuck and definitely don't redo pages over and over and over again. You, it's, it's a vicious cycle. Yes, is there, a, is there a better way to lay this page out? Probably, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you nailed it. So it, that's something that can happen every single time you lay out a page. So just don't get stuck in those traps because before you know it, 10 years have gone by and you, and you're still laying out those pages. You know, you got it. Yeah. You got one book out. So that's don't do that. You want to you want to move it along. And the more you do this, the better you'll get at it, the easier it'll become. So um, do a layout. May, do two at the most, I would say, and get it going. Make sure make sure the composition is good. The flow is good. And those are the, the high notes. And then, you know, try your di- directional devices after that. And hopefully it'll all work out. Um, and, uh, you know, your your books will get stronger with every issue that you do
0: yeah I'm gonna use a, a a phrase I've heard in the corporate world. don't let perfect get in the way of better. Just be better don't you're you're gonna you're gonna sit there and be crippled by the need for perfection. just just make it better, get out there, make something, put it out in the world, and then continue your own evolution and in the meantime put some nice product out there.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, exactly right. You're going to cripple yourself. You know, you're going to hamper your ability to put product out there. You're going to have the story that no one's going to see because you want to make it perfect. And before you know it, years have flying by and you still don't have that issue out. And what good does that do anyone? Does it do anyone any good? Yep. Um, OK, here's here's one. This is a uh, uh, more a Keith Keith area. This Ooh, is well, from... let's let's
0: end the episode on this. Yes. Let's see what we got at
1: Roasty 88 as a writer finding artists.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, we well, we've talked about this. Um, I'll, I'll I, I get this. I get this asked at least twice every convention weekend. And so I'll just repeat that answer here. It's kind of a tricky answer because the best way to find an artist actually is, is to have product, to get a table at a convention and to network with the people that are actually there. Just just go talk to people, like talk to people that seem, you know, like we've talked about this before with networking, 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 isn't some bullshit thing of like networking, networking, networking. I'm going to talk about myself. No, it's finding people that are cool that you like and then talking to them and maybe some stuff will come out of them. Maybe at some point you tell them, hey, you know any artists? You interested in doing anything? You know, however that's going to go right. But that's also sort of putting the cart before the horse because to to table at a convention, you have to have product in the first place. So what my standard answer to tell people is, there's a website out there, it's called freelanced.com. Okay, Uh, freelance with a D at the end, .com. It is not... So what you're going to find there is you're going to find a collection of artists that are willing to take on work for money. They can You can either set it up so that you look at their page rate or you can post a job and then have artists apply to you. You you put what you're willing to pay and you put all this other stuff and then artists can apply to you to do your comic. I'm assuming that's what we're talking about here, right? So that's one way to go about it. Um, freelance may not result in actual finished work but what it's helpful is it's a great first place to look to give you an idea of the market to give you an idea of what you should pay for a certain level of quality etc etc and then to me the second best way to do it is just like go on Instagram and do hashtags like artist for hire <laughs> you know like freelance artist um, they aren't the most popular used hashtags in the world but they can give you an idea on who is out there and who is actively looking for work so much that they are using that hashtag um and so without revealing who these people are i think those are those are two great initial steps and i can tell you that i have found artists using both of those things and and I'll even go so far as on Freelanced, I found the artist, uh, an artist named Jess Hera, who did the cover to Kadoja Volume One, the trade, which is a cover that I love. Um, it's just got this cool semi-painted kind of thing. It's a striking cover. It's 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 a version. It's an artist interpretation of of the lead character Jennifer Cruz, just staring right at you, and she's got big eyes. Oh and yeah, that's whole thing a killer like, cover. Yeah, yeah, so that's Jess Hera, and Jess Hera also did another piece for me, Um, I mean, she must have done it six years ago, and I am happy to say that that piece is going to get repurposed into a character in Three Protectors in the future, and I ran that by Lance, and Lance was like, oh my god, that is a cool-ass idea, so I can't wait, because there's going to be a day where I get to use that other piece of art by Jess Hera for a cover, and I'm very, very much looking forward to it, but that's probably still a year and a half out in the future. Nice, man. Fun stuff, and again, those are those are just the ways to start, and uh, and that'll help you along on your journey, and uh, and hopefully you find somebody. So good luck.
1: And I also mentioned uh, to them directly on Twitter. Uh, check Facebook. There is so many Facebook oh, yeah. groups where it's writers looking for artists or creators looking for work, whether it be artists looking for writers, writers looking for artists, uh, inkers, letterers, colorists, etc. So make sure you're checking Facebook groups. There's definitely. Uh, a plethora of them out there and I know a couple of my artist friends who actually get regular work from those groups so there's artists looking for work you just gotta find them so if you're uh, on Facebook or you're not on Facebook get on there and start looking up comic book groups and and hopefully you'll find someone that's good for you and will work at the rate that you're uh, that you have available for them so that's something that you also want to put up front in ...in your description, I mean, that's that's what I would prefer... ...and I did that when I was finding my colorist back in the day. Um, I forgot, I think it was like Gutter Zombie or something like that... ...and it was a weird title for a website, but it was where you could look for artists, colorists, etc. And one of my buddies turned me on to that site, and that's where I found my colorist. I found Joaquin on there, it he was head and shoulders above everyone else... ...but I made sure to put in my description what I could afford to pay per issue and you get what you get you know like if your budget is your budget put that out there if you think it's low there's people that'll think it's very affordable to them or they're trying to get their feet wet so they're gonna take it or they're just wicked fast and they're like yeah "Yeah, i can do it for that amount because i'm so quick you know so you just never know so put that out there so you're not like i didn't want to mislead anyone when putting the project out there I didn't want like the cream of the crop to give me their stuff. And I'm like, I can afford to pay you this. And Mm they're like, thanks for wasting my time because, because it's also a waste of your time. You see these artists that are not in your budget and you're falling in love with their work and you don't get to have them. So make sure you put your budget out there and you'll get the people that will work for that rate uh, right up front.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, I guess we'll bring the hardest part of making comics part two to a close and does it I think we've got enough for a part three, is that right? Oh yeah. Alright. So we'll we'll be back next week or sometime soon, depending on guests and stuff, but probably next week with part three. But now, let's bring some bullshit. Do you have any bullshit that you would like to bring or that has been brought in that you would like to summarize? Well,
1: I gotta say, since you have gotten the itch again, I've slowed down, but I hadn't picked up my pull list in three weeks. Yeah, man. Shit. I just dropped like 116 bucks. And I'm like, man, comics are expensive. Like, yeah, I think I picked up maybe 20, 25 books or something like that. And it was like, man, uh, 20, 25 bucks would have been 20, 25 (laughs) dollars, you know, when you're younger. But uh, those days are long gone. And, and so I definitely paid for it. So that was, that was the thing that was hard to deal with was uh, seeing that total. And I was like, man, that I think that was my entire comic book budget <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for a couple of weeks. So um, I, th- I think that was about it. So, But there was some stuff that I wanted to uh, give a shot to. There was a couple of new books that... Um, go ahead, do your thing, and I'm going to grab my... Oh, no, you know what? They're right here. Um, so issue two of Ghost Cage came out, and I really dug that series. It's by uh, Nick Dragota and Caleb Golner. And this is a really fun, interesting-looking series. It really reminds me of East of West, but it kind of has more of a manga bend to it, which I'm really into right now, so that's that's super cool to look at. And uh, issue one, blood-stained Teeth. I don't know if this book's any good, but it's the first issue, so I gave it a shot. Um, I do love my Image Comics. And um, another issue of Step by Bloody Step came out, and this is something that's one of Keith's Not this book specifically, because I don't know if he's ever seen it, but this is a wordless comic, so it definitely reads quick, but it's almost always like, I wouldn't say double sized, but there's definitely, it usually runs around 24 to 28 pages, so you get a lot more action, and the art is so fantastic. That I just love looking at it. So if you guys haven't seen this book, um, give it a go. It's only three issues in. I'm sure that you can find issues one and two. But it's just so beautifully done, and you really get to take in the art. And there's a lot of it. Like this, this artist is just—he um, does not take any shortcuts. He really gives you everything, and um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful stuff. Um, so the artist, the artist is Mateus Bergara. And so, um, yeah, he's, he's freaking killer. And, uh, yeah, man, he was actually, I, I didn't find it, but he was actually one of the people that responded to the question I had posted on Twitter. Oh, hell yeah. 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 That's
0: cool. That's cool. Very cool. Um, all right. Yeah. So for me, I, uh, man, I, I wish I could look this up cause I'm, I'm sort of all my devices and bandwidth is taken by recording this podcast, but the first thing is that I mean, like, what a day after? Maybe yeah, the next day after we recorded our bringing the bullshit episode, um, I I then text Scott and I say somebody just bought fifty two comics on Midtown Comics's indie sale. <laughs> so yeah, I wasn't done. I'm just not done. So uh, yeah, all kinds it's of like, cheap. Com- it's like drugs, yeah. man.
1: Like yeah, you 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 get off. You're clean. You got your chip. You're doing well. And then someone just gives you a little taste and that's all you need. And you're now you're, you know, blowing people for, for comics in the back. alley. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the, the, the line I sent to Scott via text is, um, I'll just, I'll just take that seat next to you in the circle. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, uh, but, but the thing is that like this, this starts, here's how it starts. It starts in the dollar bins. Because you go to a comic shop and you try some stuff. And where a lot of this started was that Houston Dollar Bin at Bedrock Comics where I got King of Nowhere 1. And I got um, another book that I'm not mentioning because I'm still trying to collect them. And I got Lucas Stand. And then before you know it... I, I went on eBay and got the remaining issues of Lucas Stan's second series. And then on Midtown, they had the first Lucas Stan series at like two bucks an issue. And then you're like, well, what else looks cool? And then you've bought another couple first issues and it just sort of begets itself, you know. Now, I will say I'm very pleased with the books I'm getting. You know, I think Gary sent some... A note to Scott and I, because we just have that three-man weave going as as an open chat sometimes. And he had posted a video where a guy went to Mile High Comics and just bought gems in his mind. But his mind of gems was like cool, obscure comics, right? And so he dug through the dollar bins at Mile High and found all these crazy, obscure kind of indie books and things like that. And it really gave me an idea of like, yeah, that's a great way to dig for comics. You know, that's how I used to dig for records. I mean, it's it's always fun to dig against your want list. But it's also fun to just find a bin, dig through it, and just find stuff that's super cheap that's also super cool looking. And you can take a chance on it because it's a buck, sometimes less. And uh, that's really unfolded into some nice stuff. And... How this gets treated on the tax forms at the year end is how I treat it. It's inspiration, right? Like, you just never know where ideas are going to come from or what dumb little thing is going to make its way into your story. So it's been a blast. I have spent far too much, and I do think it's waning. Although, here's the thing, man. The comics are waning. And then uh, earlier in this in this episode, I mentioned how I just read a book called Sea of Tranquility, I, I hope I am getting the author's name right, but the author's name is Emily St. John Mandel. And I loved this book so much. That's uh Howie that, Mandel's wife. Is it really? I think you're making fun you're you're making that up. Yeah, she's <laughs> yeah. she's younger looking. She's younger looking. He likes him young. Yeah, okay. Well maybe. You got they that don't, money? Don't, yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> anyway, so the book is phenomenal. And it turns out that she's a really popular uh, uh, current author. And as a result, I looked up a couple of her other books and I read the synopses and I was like, dude, these two books sound cool too. So guess guess what I did? Okay, we're going to see how this works because there's a book that she did from like last year and you can get a first edition hardcover for basically cover price, like 20 bucks. And then there's another book that she did from 2014, which it turns out is a television series right now. It's called Station Eleven. And Station Eleven also sounds really cool. So I was looking at Station Eleven. I was like, I feel like I should just buy these books sight unseen because if I love this book this much, I'm going to love these other books. And then that led me down a rabbit hole of why am I buying this current edition of Station Eleven? Let me look up how much a first edition is. Oh, so a first edition of Station Eleven is $1,000. Oh, wow. I am not spending $1,000, Scott. No. <laughs> you know? And it turns out that not the first Galactus's edition... Not Galactus's
1: first appearance.
0: Yeah, this ain't Galactus's first appearance. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like... But it turns out that the first edition of Station Eleven was a UK version. It has a different cover, and it has a far superior cover in my brain. It is totally my aesthetic. But it came with a comic book. Oh. I did. I'm still not getting it, right? But here's what's interesting. I was like, okay, well, I really like that UK cover edition. So... I'm going to take a chance. So I, I looked up, I did a Google search for like UK cover hard UK hardcover station 11. And what I found was I found some used books that are far. I mean, like we're talking double digit here. You know what I mean? Like they're not, they're not that expensive. And, and I, and one of them on like, so a books is one of these many sites where a bunch of sellers just put their shit up for sale, you know, like Amazon marketplace That's what Abe Books is. There are a bunch of places like this. Like Hip Comic is a comic equivalent where you just have individual sellers listing their shit for like a a, a very small commission when when the thing sells. So I found this UK version. It wasn't that much. And it's used. And so I grabbed it. And here's why I grabbed it. They didn't mention what edition it was. And so while I don't think it's a first edition, okay? what if it's like a second edition and it just doesn't have the comic or what if it is a first edition that doesn't come with the comic or what if it is a first, second or third edition? That's just a little dinged up. Like number one, I'm going to get the cover. I like, and number two, it's a bit of a fun gamble, isn't it? Yeah. Because there is upside there. And, uh, and I've, you know, like Scott and I have talked about this a little bit at auctions that in, in the world of eBay, you have to know where your little opportunities are that might get you a better book for a lower price than you're thinking. And we're not going to talk about those things, but those things are out there if you know what to look for. And you got to gamble, man. Like, that's how this works. You know, like if, if you're looking at a comic and the person takes 35 photos of it and the photos all reveal it's in mint condition, then guess what? Everybody knows that, you know? So the question is, what happens when you don't have that? And what kind of gambles you want to take? And, and what you want to do there, you know? So I thought that this was a pretty interesting calculated gamble to take. At minimum, I'll probably get some sort of early version edition, and it'll be the cover I like. And in the week or two that it takes to show up, yeah, I get to fantasize that maybe, just maybe I got like a beat-up first edition without the comic or something like that, you know? The upside is worth it, and you bake that into the price you're willing to pay. Yeah,
1: right on. Yeah, that's it's, it's definitely fun to... Um... Like the eBay thing, I love having my lists in the morning that come in through the email. And I love seeing people that kind of don't know what they have. It's just like, okay, I have this on my watch list as soon as it comes up. If it's a good price, I'm snagging it. So, you know, whether you're shaving you know, a couple of dollars off or $10 or $20 off. It's like mm-hmm. part of the excitement. So yeah, uh, very cool, Absolutely. man. I hope you, I hope you sneak a win here. And it's like a, a, just a slightly beat up first edition. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'll reveal it no matter what, because I'm happy with it no matter what. I mean, I, again, I think it's on like it's 13th edition. So okay. I'm sure I can upgrade over the 13th edition, especially if it's a UK print copy. But that's, that's for a couple of weeks from the future. But for now, we've gone on for a while. So what that means is that you can find me on Instagram at Keith invader. That is me posting photos of books I like. It's posting some cool quotes that I find talking about this podcast, posting art from the comics that I write and all kinds of other stuff. And then there's at Kadoja Kaiju, all one word. That is your one stop shop for giant monster stuff, specifically Kadoja, which is uh, giant monsters meet HP Lovecraft.
1: And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost.
0: For websites, I have one website. It is KeithRFoster.com. There are some pages there on Kadoja. There's some pages on Three Protectors. There's a page on Three Protectors. And then I have links to blog posts as well. And uh, boy, I look to get back to doing that. I do uh, do some reviews for ihorror.com as well. And uh, I link to those on my website. And there's a store as well. So keithrfoster.com, Kadoja, Three Protectors, blog posts, and reviews. And you can find my books at
1: AccidentalAliens.com Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night and Wanders from Milsonda Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs Versus Humans I also do Accidental Alien Anthologies as well as Tales from the Mothership there are short stories in all of those books so if you want to get my entire catalog go to AccidentalAliens.com and grab everything that you can get that I've talked about here I would greatly appreciate that we also have t-shirts and other things on the site that you can get um, so go there,
0: com. Grab all the books, spend all the money. It never works, it never fucking works. <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> wait, a I was, we weren't prompted for that. The jig is up, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify both of those allow you to rate podcasts. So, if you're listening to this and you enjoyed it, and you know what, if you're this far in. I'm thinking you listened to it and you enjoyed it. You've been with us for 80 minutes this episode. So go over there. Take a minute. Five stars is great. Five stars with words is even better. It all works. It all keeps the algorithms working for you. And if the algorithms work for you, then that ensures that the robots are never taking over. And if they do take over, they're going to take over how you want them to take over, which is super important. So fight the robot invasion. Have the algorithms work for you. Five stars anywhere you can throw it.
1: And you can contact us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, want to tell us a story, we actually got a, a nice email in, which we're running late today, so we'll, we'll fit it in the next episode. And, uh, yeah, hit us up there. Let us know how we're doing over here, what you're enjoying, what you're not enjoying. If there's anything that you want us to talk about, uh, please go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com, and we'll... Yeah. Uh, respond to you and then uh make sure it's cool to talk about on the air and we'll we'll talk
0: about it yeah and i mean you don't even need to send us an email because we know there's one thing you absolutely enjoy and that's the sixers beating the absolute shit out of the toronto raptors in game (laughs) six because that's what america demands you know actually ed i had sent a note to ed a couple hours ago when the game was going on and he just responded back and i said what a sweet sweet evening ed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what, that was my text and he put you beat a team and a country
1: <laughs> so
0: so yeah good times well good done. times well yeah yeah so uh, so yeah that's gonna do it man another week in the books another episode and uh, I will see you next week yay yay